irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to the Sheena Metal Experience with your host, Sheena Metal, right here on LA Talk Radio. That's right. It's the Sheena Metal Experience right here on LA Talk Radio. For more info on the show, latalkradio.com, sheenametalexperience.com. Don't forget to email me and let me know what you think of the show. And of course, on social media, I'm at Sheena Metal everywhere. My guest all this hour is making her debut on the show. She has a one-woman show called Blindsided that she is doing for the very first time at one of my favorite venues in town, the Hollywood Improv, and a wonderful place that I'm proud to broadcast this show four times a year. Uh, Please welcome the wonderful Jeanette Rizzi to the show. How are you, my friend? It's so wonderful to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. It's a great day. And I'm glad that the improv kind of hooked us up. Yes, they they were very generous. It was definitely nice of them to give me that opportunity. um, I like that they're very family-oriented. I've worked at um, all the big three comedy clubs and a lot of other ones. And to me, they have the most sort of like kind of tribal ethic, which I really love. Right. You walk in and it's, you, you feel like you're automatically just loved and they're so supportive. And anytime you have a question, they're just, you, yeah. you got this, you're going to rock it. It's going to be a great event. And awesome. It totally helps you relax. So awesome. So tell me a little bit about you before we talk about the event. Um, where are you from and when did the arts first sort of enter your life? I am from a little town in Florida called Alachua, which, you know, a lot of people who are from Alachua will say, oh, I'm from Gainesville, Florida, because everybody knows the Florida Gators. And But I've always been proud to say that I'm from Alachua, Florida. It's a very small town. And actually, my mother was a nun and my father was a monk in Brooklyn, New York. And my dad uh, idolized St. Francis, so he wanted a farm <laughs> with animals to surround himself oh. with. And so he moved the family when my mom was pregnant. From... So did they both leave? The... Yeah, they left. And oh. they, they oh. and I and I have to say that they met after they left because my dad always tells me, you make sure you make that clear. So they had both left um, their But orders. how weird that they both left and then they met each other. I know. It was destiny. They're still married all these years later. Isn't and, that uh, wonderful? Yeah. And, uh, but unfortunately, the animals, my dad was wasn't quite as successful with when he moved to Alachua. So, you know, we had a lot of cows jumping fences and oh. running wild. And then, uh, so I, I grew up there and I went all the way, you know, from school, kindergarten, all the way through the University of Florida in Gainesville, which was, you know, a 20 minute drive. So, um, born and raised. That's wonderful. Are you a city girl now or do you still like to be on farms? Um, I would say I'm pretty much a city girl now. I always, even when I was little, I always loved the city. Yeah, um, me too. And uh, but you know, there is something very calming to go on a, you know, at a, in you know this these houses with 17 acres, which is what I grew up on, and animals, and it's peaceful and it's just slower. But I'm good for about a week, and then I'm ready to get back to the hustle of. LA. I think the most we ever had when I was growing up and living different places as we moved across the country when I was a kid was two acres. And even now I look back and think that my parents are were the same age pretty much I am now then. Mm-hmm. Like how did they have time to take care of even that much? Right. That's a lot. Yeah. There well, was a shed and lawnmowers and they had a vegetable garden and that's a lot that's a lot of time. Now I have to say I loved mowing the lawn and sometimes I think if I just could make a million dollars doing anything, mowing the lawn was like the most peaceful. The ride on mower. Is that what you No, had? no, oh, my I little like happy the ride self on pushed 
<laughs> oh no, we had a ride on it. That's how I learned to drive. Yeah, we didn't get the ride on until I was about in I think my freshman year in college. So oh, I, okay. I pushed myself you around did. all those acres and you'd get one, you know, area done and then you'd go to the next area and then by the time you finished that the other area was ready to be mowed again but uh i actually um a couple my parents had bought a house out here a couple years ago and i was mowing their um yard it was very small obviously in la and i had on these little shorts and i was bending over to pick up the grass and the neighbor came over and he said hi i was just wondering what lawn service do you work for oh that's fantastic <laughs> and I, thought, I can make so much money like yeah, in little shorts exactly yeah <laughs> so it's hot mower i still have a little bit of time maybe i should open oh, that's that fantastic do you know i bought my first car because as a kid when we lived in baltimore and had that big yard um i used to go up and down and i would do everybody's lawn with our ride on mower and that's how i saved for my first car it's the, it was very peaceful and now i feel that way when i drive it's to me driving people stress out about driving and i think it's very peaceful I see I feel the same way and I feel like my car I'm very kind of closed off emotionally but my car I just you know if I need to cry or I need to scream <laughs> well it's very closed off it's your little safe spot it is my safe spot for oh, some reason fantastic. I get in the car and you're right it's peaceful and you can sing and even when I mow the lawn I when we got the driving one I would sing all the time just mowing yeah the lawn I loved it yeah I would put my little uh, headphones in or my little AM radio, and uh-huh. I thought that was like the most amazing thing. Now, now I sound like I was I'm 400 <laughs> years old with the AM radio. Uh, but that was back in the day when you could afford the AM radio, but you couldn't afford. They didn't have like mini transistor FM radios. They I were too see. expensive for the lawnmower. I got you. So um, we're uh, not even 10 minutes into the show, and you just said you were emotionally closed off. <laughs> is that that's not something usually an emotionally closed off person says yeah, on the radio? That is when they're told that. I think in therapy, when you're in therapy, is many. Years years as I have been you're very comfortable to just say no that's me that's how I am now why do you think um because I um I don't let people see any side of me like I I kind of just stay very um I guess stoic I mean I'll get mad but I'm Italian you know Italians when we get mad there's sure there's no closing that off but everything else that upsets me or hurts me I kind of just swallow it now do you think you got that from your parents yeah, because, well, not from my parents, yes, in a sense, because it was always, you know, oh, don't be mean. You know, God doesn't like you to be mean. Don't be. So you, you learn to kind of just shut every emotion off. Except right. For St. Francis was never mean. No. Saint I have Francis. a St. Francis statue on my patio. Just I have St. Francis, too, in my yeah. house. My dad bought him for me, and he sits, you know, in the I in bought him at Walmart. I thought there was some irony in that, although <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it is. But I love him. He has, like, a little, a little bird in his hand, and he's got, like, a little squirrel coming up next to him. And he's big. He's like about that big and I think mine's kind of the same he's on one knee and he has the birds on his shoulder oh that's yeah. beautiful but yeah you have to have a St. Francis around you yeah so. I love St. Francis <laughs> I'm not even Catholic oh well that's but I still love St. Francis I don't believe the saints just belong to Catholics now uh, your parents would probably turn the radio off and they're never going to turn it back on no because when I grew up if, if the um you know it was predominantly Southern Baptist but they'd always call my mom when you know what saint will help Oh, yeah. find something or what saint will help whatever I love that and I think everyone should know an their answer. saints <laughs> oh that's wonderful so um so but but you're great on the air and you're very open and talking about yourself and your life so you don't really seem closed off I well I think that's because I'm it's like being on a stage right okay so on a stage I can do my comedy and I can say whatever I want but if it's like one-on-one I'm that's where I'm 
And I think it's if I'm emotionally tied to the person too, if it's someone like that's my friend and maybe they hurt my feelings and I don't want to tell them or obviously in relationships, that's yeah, yeah, not really good at that yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not, I don't want to disagree with your therapist because I'm <laughs> sure he or she is wonderful. But um, I don't think that just kind of burying your kind of tucking your feelings away. I don't think that makes you emotionally closed off. I well, think it thank just you. Makes then you, maybe I'm not as bad as they made me feel. <laughs> maybe a little stoic and maybe a little raised by people who are Northeasterners, as my parents were both New Yorkers and Irish. And uh, the whole idea that maybe you don't need to cause a big scene in front of people. Mm-hmm. And you just need to keep it to yourself and suck it up, buttercup. Right. So, just be polite. Yeah. Maybe I'm emotionally closed <laughs> off. Maybe your therapist should call me. <laughs> maybe so. That might be. Uh, maybe that's why I'm comfortable talking to you. So when did you know that you wanted to be in the arts and a, and a performer? You know, ever since I was little, um, I loved just singing and dancing, and um, I had friends that would dance. They they were all dancers, but my you know my we didn't have a lot of money, so I played sports. So I was extremely athletic, and um, I, the first time I can remember was when I um, turned sixteen. My dad had saved and saved and saved and took us on our first family trip to San Francisco, and my brother and sister are quite a bit older than me, and so they had gone to the bar, but I was still you know I wasn't old enough to go. My parents went down to have a drink with them and I just we where I grew up we didn't have cable you know we just had just regular what channel five and that was it and then um so I was left in the room alone and I was watching HBO and I saw Rosie O'Donnell doing stand-up and I can still remember the joke I saw her her tell and I was like that's what I think I want to do that I, I, like I was just so inspired by it, by how funny she was, and I thought that that might, has to be a way to kind of free yourself. And so, I immediately went home. And in Florida, when you want to be on stage, what do you do? You do beauty pageants, and I was a terrible beauty pageant oh, contestant. Wow. But that was the way for me to be able to do the talent part where I would be funny. And so that's how it started. Yeah. Were, were, were you, um, were you, was it uncomfortable to do a beauty pageant? The, the pretty part was uncomfortable to be pretty because I, I really, uh, you know, I had this really frizzy, curly hair and I really didn't know how to do the dresses and the, the heels I was terrible in. And I would kind of spin myself dizzy with the, <laughs> that part wasn't good. But the minute it was the talent and I got to go be funny, I shined instantly. I was great at that, you know. Because I have found, you know, being on this earth for however many years as a woman that unless you're like professionally good at being pretty really pretty things are awkward for you it is it's very uncomfortable i mean there are some women that they just rock it like they should live on a red carpet in front of a camera right you know they know how to do the makeup and spend three hours in front of the mirror to me it seems stupid to send three i mean three hours of my life is gone and all i did was stand in front of a mirror yeah i mean i couldn't imagine doing that every day it's fun to play dress up you know i I like it for my shows i love to do that but you know Yeah. yeah to do that every day it's different when you have a show like when you have a show them that seems like it's for art mm-hmm. i mean i'll sit in front of a mirror for three hours and put makeup on for a play right and think nothing of it but You're, just to be like that into yourself for everyday life it's just a lot kind of, of seems weird mm-hmm. so i always think with people in pageants there must be some women that just love it like that's their well they're very complete com- wheelhouse yeah and they're very competitive and you can't i mean the money that was spent on these dresses i mean i i wore my sister's prom dress that was like ready to <laughs> fall off <me>. awesome <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, we had to like almost paper, you know, like uh, the what you hang. Oh my, I'm losing the the. You know what you hang clothes on the hangers, yeah. like in the on the clothesline. 
it was like we had to pin the dress on me because it was you know she was older than me and it didn't fit so here I'm in her prom dress and the other girls are you know thousands of dollars they spend so much money yeah. on those dresses that they never wear again and they have coaches there's coaches with yeah us. and I mean, they have they have dressmakers they have dressmakers and shoes and the and the jewelry is all made and then I would just come in and wow. you know wear somebody's dress that I knew and but be funny and I and, and, and I always joke that I always got second runner up because funny never wins in a beauty pageant it's always like the right. runner up and but I was funny like my It's great that you got funny. anything. <laughs> yeah, I was proud of it. That's wonderful. That was Considering you didn't have a mom running like a beauty pageant empire for you. No, my mom would say, "Oh god, why are we I don't like this. God doesn't want you spending so much time making yourself pretty." <laughs> oh my god, that's fantastic. <laughs> Your mom is fantastic. Um, so when did you figure out that you could just get on stage and tell jokes and be a stand-up and not have to go through the whole, you know, safety pinning of the dress? And Well, great for me, but not so great for my dad when I was in law school. I, so I got into law oh. school and I came out and instantly, you know, he was, I'm in California. And, and he actually thought that I would um, be nervous to be out in California. But I mean, the minute I got here... I was supposed to be studying, but I, I saw the comedy store. I was in San Diego, and so I was in the comedy store, and I just hopped up. I took a class, and, you know, I I fell in love with it the minute I got on stage. That's I mean, wonderful. I was like, and so law school didn't last very long for me because, you know, when I was supposed to be studying, then I was sending out headshots and resumes, and I was on this mission, and then I got cast in San Diego. They do... Um, it's kind of like Tony and Tina's Italian wedding. Sure. Um, and so I was, you know, the bride. I got cast in all of that stuff. And so that's all I wanted to Get do. Get out your sister's prom dress again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Be the bride. And you got to, you, you know, make up your name. So I was uh, Rose Chianti. That oh, was my name. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So that's, and how did you folks feel about you being in the business? Well, what did gods have to say about that? They were, you know, my dad just kept saying, go back to law school, go back to law school, stick with law school. You'd be a great lawyer, stick with law school. And, um, but you know, there was the trick of my friend, the show kind of, they, it wasn't until they realized how important this particular one woman show became for me. And then, um, the mission that I've been on now for, you know, 16 years of moving it forward, then they kind of got on board. Wow. You've been working on blindsided for 16 years. Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't until they saw it probably the second time. After they saw it the second time, I think then they kind of were like, she's never, she's not giving up on yeah, this. Yeah, that's so it. Law school's just, toast. Yeah, everything's toast except for her doing this show. So now it's, you know, they're everything, they're on board 100%. So how did Blindsided start for you? Well, um, when I was in high school, I lost two. I lost a very good friend to suicide, and then a year later, my best friend she took her own life. And um, so it was these two, you know, people that I loved back to back, taking their own lives. And um, I, I didn't. You don't know you, any teenager any any kind of death. I, you know, whether it's suicide or anything else, you shouldn't be in churches you know two years in a row burying friends when you're a teenager and so I didn't know how to deal with it I didn't know how to cope and um I was really struggling and I had um developed uh trichotillomania which some people know what that is I don't know if you know what that is it's it's like cutting you know and you cut because you don't know how to sure. let out the emotion but you pull sure. your hair and I was going through all these things and I was in law school and I wasn't happy and I was so self-conscious and then I saw um John Leguizamo do Sexaholics. 
and I watched it and it was so amazing that and, and then I, I didn't know what it was I was like oh he's doing stand up comedy and then in the comedy class they're like that's not comedy he's not doing comedy he's telling a story and I was like okay well what is it I want to do that what is it what is this t- how do you tell a story and then I kind of figured out oh it's a one person show and I thought well I didn't know how to tell people that I was struggling with wanting to live and and didn't know how to tell people that I, I felt like I was sort of losing my mind a little bit because I was so depressed. And, right. But I didn't know that at the time. I just knew something was wrong. So I started to write the show on my own, but literally just like sentences. I started with fun, things I thought were funny about being raised in the South. And obviously I wrote the story about my friends passing away. And and then, you know, I do a little bit and then I would have to kind of decide, um, are you going to live to tell this story or are you you know going to check yourself out of this world so there was a couple years of struggle in there and I would write a line and then not really do it and then all of a sudden something hit me and it was about nine years in and I'm like I'm getting on the stage and here's what I'm going to do I'm going to donate all the money to a suicide prevention charity and it's going to make me feel better because I I really did not want to live anymore and I was like if you help people do what your mom told you if you help somebody it's going to make you feel better so I was determined and I finished the show I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and then I wrote charities all over trying to find a charity who would come and you know be there and um so I worked with the friends of survivors out of Sacramento and they came down and I literally got on the stage in this room it was stuffy and hot and you know all black walls it was like a box yeah and um I by day I'm a personal trainer so all my clients came and I gave all the money to that charity and I I literally was looking at my script doing it because because I just had to push myself and once I did that then from there the years kind of it's been growing and getting better and my performances are getting better and wow and so um every year I try to find a charity um to come in and I do the show and I give them I you know I give them all the proceeds and it and it helps and and people seem to be more open to hear about a show about suicide when it's for a good cause. Yeah. They're, they seem to be a little more open because, you know, a lot of people freeze when they hear it's about suicide. And even though it's funny, which doesn't sound funny, but it's funny, they don't want to mess with it. So you do the show about once a year? Uh, well, I would love to do it more, but I um, I had been doing it in the Hollywood Fringe. Um, but, you know, you have to save the money. It's not, you know, I'm not, I don't have when you're paying for it for yourself i would do it every day if i could it's yeah. just you're yeah, not, yeah, yeah. you know i don't have that kind of backing yet hopefully one day sure. i would sure and then um so did you were you unhappy before your friend committed suicide i was uh, was that sort of just the straw that broke the camel's back or did that well, really start a, something i had a, a boyfriend that which my mother kept saying he's he's verbally abusing you Jeanette you know she kept saying that and I was like you know a teenager mom shut up no he you know and no mom no mom no mom but I did it started to get worse and I was just like this caged person and and I couldn't make a move without him getting upset and you know it became this relationship that um I, I didn't see what was going on, but the outside did, you know. And people started to say things to me. I remember a different high school. Some of the athletes came over to me and had said something like, we heard about this boyfriend and that. And I was kind of like, what is what is going on? But my friend, um, Katie, she kept saying, you know, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him. 
and then um, we had made this pact the night before she passed away that uh, we were both going to dump our boyfriends and I was going to get rid of him and so yes I was unhappy and then um, I didn't go through with the, the promise I didn't I was scared and I didn't break up with him and then the next day she took her own life so it sort of wow so she didn't she didn't go through with it either she, she went did. through with it in a different she way she actually did oh, she, she broke did. up with her boyfriend and um i saw him at school and he had said oh yeah did she tell you and she had called me that night and i um i didn't i was gonna call her the next morning which i did and uh, obviously the phone didn't get wow picked up. so uh yeah so i was kind of starting that feeling of um i didn't really know what was happening but i wasn't in a you know, you again. I, my mother used to say, being in high school, you shouldn't be in, as in love as you are. Like you shouldn't be in this relationship. You're too young for to be experiencing this stuff. But I went with it, and so yeah, it just kind of started that domino effect of of um, kind of early traumatic experiences for a teenager. Wow, I'm so sorry. Well, but I also think that, um, and this is something oddly enough that I talk about on the show a lot that when you're when you're in an unhealthy relationship, whatever it is in you that allows somebody else to continue to abuse you, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking as somebody who has done that in my life many right. times, um, when you get out of a relationship like that, you're super vulnerable. Like when people, um, or when you're in a relationship like that, you're sort of like when you're when you're an alcoholic, and then when you first get out of it, it's like your first week in rehab. Right. So sometimes during that time period. Um, if something else in your life happens that's horrible, mm-hmm. it just becomes unbelievable to deal with both things. Or sometimes in that time period, you'll walk into another situation with another person who's just like that. Yeah. Because you're in that super vulnerable spot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what see, I didn't get, I didn't break up with the boyfriend, but you know, there was one suicide and then another. So I, for, I'm talking 10 years because, like you're saying, I didn't learn from just breaking up with that boyfriend. No, I had to go through a different one. Yeah, and they just keep you, coming. You're on, you live in this fear, though, that everybody is going to kill themselves if you stand up for yourself or you get mad. So, I mean, I at least I was. So I didn't, I was like, I, looking back, it's like I didn't want anybody else to kill themselves. So I didn't, you know, say anything. I let everything go on. I didn't stand up for myself. And then, lo and behold, I woke up one day and it was like, now you're going to do it because you've you've yeah. worried so much about everybody else. You're 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 in trouble. Yeah, and that's when I got help. Went to the therapist. That's good. Yeah. And therapy has been good for you. Yeah, therapy is very good for me, and I um, it, it helps a lot. I mean, I ha- I did go through nine different therapists until I found one that could, you know, I each, each there. I always joke with therapists like therapists. They're like kind of dating, you know. You go on these dates and and you, you, there's great things about different guys you date, but not necessarily like you're going to marry that one. And a therapist is a kind of the same way. They give you pointers, and but I do feel like in therapy, a therapist can take you so far, and then you kind of hit a plateau. Yeah, and then you, it's good to change it up. So you know, I had a couple in the beginning that were terrible therapists, but you no, know, as of the last couple of years, I've had some great therapist i've been with the one i'm with now for almost almost three years yeah that's great and i went from men and then i changed the female therapist okay yeah why do you think 
Um, well, because I'm, uh, you know, after, okay, I, to be honest, after being in, you know, one relationship that was terrible for so many years and then another, and I kind of became this wild cat with men and I just didn't want to, I felt like female therapists were judging me a little bit. Like I should want to be married and I should want to have kids. And, oh, really? And I just wanted to, you know, have fun sex. And <laughs> so men, male therapists were a little easier about that. But then again, it's just about finding the right therapist. Now, I mean, my therapist always talks to me about Mae West, and she's hysterical. She tells me great stories. So and interesting that a therapist would be judgy about something like that. They are, and so that was I learned when I would before I would go for the first time. I'd ask, like, "What are you? You know, are you <laughs> are you judgy? Are you judgy? Are you you know <laughs> right. super religious? Or oh, you, did you find a religious one and told you oh, that God yeah, wouldn't kept like tell me to pray? And I was like, "Well, why was that one I your mom recommended?" No, but I thought, "Why am I paying you? My mom could tell me to pray. I don't need you to yeah. tell me to pray." It's interesting for me that as women, how we're we're so not okay with each other sometimes. Oh, yeah, all a lot. Do you of know the what time. I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. we'll sit there and talk about freedom and equality for women and feminism and all this other crap that we spew out our mouth, but we don't walk the walk. <laughs> right. And then we'll judge other women for doing something and being free with their own bodies. Well, isn't that the ultimate definition of feminism? Is mm-hmm. deciding to get married or not? Right. Deciding that sex is for love or not? Or not? It's your choice. Yeah. But yet we get so kind of judgy with each other. It's so. It's definitely. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. I think we've seen that in this political climate oh, as a absolutely. woman's running for president. Mm-hmm. And we other women, I mean, I, I do a politics show here once a week, and I've had other women come on the show and scream at me like, her husband had affairs and she didn't do anything. And I'm like, yeah, have you ever been with somebody who was having an affair? Yeah. Did you do anything? No. So what's the difference? And uh, she did do something. She got herself a nice run for president. <laughs> exactly. So, I think so shut did. up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. No one. She's not judging your relationships. I'd be like, sleep with you who you want. Can I just just keep it quiet? But and it's strange that we're like that, right? I mean, oh, I know yeah. so many women that, who've been, you know, I grew up in rock and roll. My friends were strippers and they were dominatrix and, you know, all that. And I have people say, I can't believe she's a stripper. And I'm like, look, you know what? She put herself through film school so mm-hmm. what do you care it's not you don't want to take your clothes off for money then don't but don't be judgy to other women yeah yeah i absolutely i never understand it because i it, it's your life do what you want to do you know it, it, it's it, i'm not going to judge you i'll listen to you i'll support yeah, you. yeah i might not choose do. to do the same thing but exactly but, i might not, i'm probably not going to choose to do the same thing but you know what it's far be it for me to tell anybody else how to make a living with all the crazy ways I've made a living. Yeah, it, it's at the end of the day, you know, it's your life and you have to survive it day in and day out. So whatever you need to Absolutely. do, do it. Absolutely. So how is the show? Do you change the show a little bit every year? Well, I, I mean, it's always a work in progress. And of course, year after year, things happen. Things change. You, um, For my sister, for example, she bought me a dog the day after uh, my friend passed away, my dog Flash. And... This show in October is the first time because he lived to be 18. Oh. And this is the first show where I talk about losing him. Oh. And so I, it's I hard. yeah, that, so, so yeah, things happen and you learn more, you learn how to survive. So the, the show changes and, and, you know, funnier stories happen that you put in or you pull out or you get kind of okay to talk about the dog dying or yeah. getting your heart broken or not being ready to be married, all those kind of things. So, you know, it, obviously I've been growing and changing. So the show is going to grow and change too. How wonderful that he lived to be that old. 
Yes, he was a, a great spirit. What kind of dog was he? He had many dogs. And, oh. And so, but he's a huge character in the show because right after my friend died, I wouldn't talk. So I kind of created a voice for the dog, which sounds insane, but it's funny. And no. the dog, so the dog would defend because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings, but the dog would. So I, I would have, you know, the dog. So it's one of the best scenes in the show when the dog comes home for the first day and, um, my mother's there and my sister and my grandmother and you know they're all talking to me and the dog is doing the voice and the grandmother's you know talking to the dog and my sister's telling me oh you look crazy like don't talk for the dog and my mom's like why do we have a dog in the house oh, wow. And so wow yeah so and uh but every, he was really a special little guy that oh, he came in in the middle of all that yeah and it's like you and know, just knew how to handle it that's what i always say is it's so surprising humans with all this education and all oh, yeah. this and our big higher intelligence we like to brag yes, about all the time and yet only the dog knew what to do which was just to sit there right and lick my arm and you know just sit there and all those years he knew what to do when you had all these people that nobody knew had any clue what to do you know people didn't when i it's interesting when flash died i i it's like i didn't know but i knew how to handle it because it was kind of the same when katie died because nobody wanted to talk to me because they didn't know what to say right you know and so people were would they'd stay they avoided me Right. And, uh, but I had already been through it. I was prepared for it. And you kind of just, you know, you, you have to pick yourself up and you have to move forward. Well, and there was a time when I would have kept all of that to myself. But now with this show and being on Facebook, yeah. I kind of decided to make a, you know, t- that things in my life that are important, it's important that I share them because somebody's listening that needs to hear it. So in March, I lost my mom and my dog the same day. Oh, my goodness. About four hours apart. Oh, My dog wow. was 17, Pomeranian. Literally spent the night at the hospital. Mom died at like 7 in the morning. Came home. The dog was dying. Took her to the vet. Oh, my the gosh. The dog died. And you're right. People would kind of, for a couple of weeks, people would see me. Mm-hmm. And there would be this deer in the headlights look in their eyes like, oh, my God, it's the death girl. Right. What do I do? Right. What do I say to her? Right. And they'd kind of be like, mm, hi, and they'd give me this weird look. Right. And i think, oh, that's, you know what, I'm, I'm still me. It's okay. Right. I felt like I was consoling people. <laughs> yes. And they say, oh, well, I wanted to call, but I was going to start crying, so I didn't. And you're like, like well. Oh, that's okay. And I'm like, why am I consoling these weirdos? I just had a double header. What, what's going on? It's so, but it's, it's true. You're, you're, exactly. And I remember when Flash died. You know, I came in and the he had been in acupuncture, and I kept saying to the the, the doctor, I kept saying, you know, how do I know? How do I know? Because I I would say all the time, come on, Katie, please just let me walk out one morning and let him be dead. Don't make me put him down. Don't make me do it. You know, Katie, you're watching me from above. And then I, she, the acupuncture doctor was like, oh, you'll know, you'll know. And I came out one night. It was like one o'clock in the morning, and I saw the eyes, and I was like okay and I had been like in you know this casual relationship for all these years with a guy that he's not emotional at all and not like the touchy-feely type and we weren't like in love we were basically just sleeping together and instead of all the friends or anybody I could have called I called him because I knew he would not be soft or cry or he wouldn't you know he would yeah. he would just he would just you know so I, I said I just I just need somebody to say this is the right decision and he was like you know nobody's loved the dog in the way Jeanette you, you the dog is 18 you've given the dog all the love the best life you don't want him to suffer and I said thanks bye and I hung up and just went and it was you know very peaceful 
honestly, like I, 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 I didn't think I would be so strong, but yeah, I went home and I put, like you said, I wrote on Facebook cause that's always kind of soothing yeah. to write. And something. It's a nice way to let everybody know. So you don't have to tell the same sad story a hundred times. Yeah. And, and everybody for all these years knew how much flash meant and then the show only brings it out more so all these people that had seen the show you know i i even i put the post up and i put my phone on silent and put it face down and cried for yeah probably like 10 hours and then i lifted my head up and i was like all right you yeah. gotta move on me too and then people get strange right like mm-hmm. why aren't you more freaked out and i'm like look you have no idea how freaked out i am that was my best friend and my only family and my dog yeah the cat's even more freaked out <laughs> but right but what am i gonna do just stop living i mean i promised my mother i would never when i was little she said to me once look when i go don't you go too mm-hmm. and i promised her that i wouldn't and i'm not gonna now not do that it's but right. people get like some people get very angry that you're not more upset i had one person call me and say i don't think we should talk for a while because when I think about how your mom died, it reminds me that someday my parents are going to die, and that oh, makes me sad. Good. Make it and about thought, you. Wow. Did you just say that out <laughs> loud? My grandma, my grandma from Brooklyn would say, yeah, poor you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what, really? I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Well, you've been posting about this for nine months. Don't you think it was time she was sick? About my, I'm like, did that just happen? And then everyone wants to tell you, well, the dog was this old. Like, that's it's okay when someone dies when they're old. It's, it's okay. Like at right. a certain age, you just fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> and it so, makes it perfectly okay. Yeah, oh, so. you're only sad if a dog dies and it's under 12. I mean, it's... it's I, I totally agree. So strange and how people, people get, react to it. It is true. They get very weird about it. And then my friend was like, my friend calls me hysterical. She's like, how could you not why would you call him instead of me and i was like because because i wanted to talk to somebody who was not emotional and she's like well clearly i'm not the person to talk to yeah that's why i didn't call you because i didn't need somebody else crying like while i'm trying to go through this and you know i picked myself up and i just kind of moved on but the the crazy thing was after that day i didn't cry at all for months and months and months but then it was time to put the show up and so, and I hadn't written about him dying, but I started to rehearse it, and I did his first line. And when I did his first line, that was like, whoo, scabs came flying. Oh, off. I bet. I was just going to say, is that going to be difficult to do for the first time? Well, I think, I, I'm not sure, because um, I haven't done it in, such, in front of such a big audience. But I think, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's no different than Katie. I'm doing Katie's voice. I'm doing my grandma Ann's voice. They've all passed away. So for that, for that hour and 15 minutes, it's almost like my life is, they're all back. Yeah. You know, it, it really is. Now, what's tough is the next day because all those scabs are now, you know, ripped off because you yeah. give everything you can in a performance. And then, you know, the next day I always take off work because I'm always kind of like a breakdown happens at some point yeah. in the day. I always come here and do the show because I do my shows on Sundays at the Improv. I always come here and do a show because I'm Irish and the best way I can not fall apart is to show up for work. Yeah, it's true. You like, get, honestly, that's what I got to do. You're, you're, you're right in that. I did a show the day Mom and Sable died. I came here and did the show because it was 3 o'clock, and I thought, by the time I got out of the vets, and I thought, well, I can go home and die. Right. Or I can come here and do my show. And that's So I came and did the show, and I think it was the best way to honor them. Well, and, as, you know, you're here. People are listening to you. Yeah. You're, you're with people who love you. And it's important. Yeah. But I remember that first night at the improv because I had an improv show three weeks after my mom died. 
And everybody was like, are you going to cancel it? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to cancel it. It's, it's not the improv's fault that I had a family tragedy. <laughs> right. And I remember getting, and I wear my mom's, I put my mom's engagement ring on when she went in the hospital and I haven't taken it off. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be weird. And But, you know, I do like five or ten minutes at the beginning before I start interviewing people. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm just going to be honest. Everybody knows from Facebook. Right. If I didn't say something about it, it would be weird. Yeah. And everybody was wonderful. They all raised their glass and toasted her. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was such a beautiful tribute. Because I think if you're open with people, except for that small percentage of super weirdos, they'll all be open back with you. It, I agree with you. But if you're weird about it, then you'll get weird energy back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and a lot of times, you know, it, it's like they always say, there's the person right next to you feels the same way you do. So while you think, okay, I'm going to talk about the subject that's uncomfortable, so many people have either just experienced it or they know how you feel and they're glad that you can be open about it because it lets them open up a little bit you know they feel comforted by hey i'm not weird either she's going through the same thing i am i mean yeah no, i do I my agree. show sometimes people are like oh i'm so glad you you had a talking dog because we had to talk to our child through the dog and i was like okay so i guess i'm not weird with the talking dog this is a normal thing i think that's fantastic yeah i always kind of do that give voices to my animals but the fact that you weren't talking. <laughs> yeah, the dog. I mean, How even, long did you go and not talk? Well, it wasn't long. I mean, I just wouldn't say. I didn't want to say anything. I just kind of was crying so much. And so, I mean, I remember. I mean, I did speak at her funeral. I mean, I did. I, I wasn't, like, completely mute. Because in my softball coach from high school, my I was in college. And my softball coach from college took me to the high school to talk to the kids. And, you know, so I kind of was thrown in that position to be a leader and talk about it. So I did it because I, I, I guess I was stronger than I thought. But when I was, you know, with my family or anything hard, I didn't want to have to talk about it. So yeah. I just let the dog do it. Good for you. Well, not that much different now. My dogs still all have voices. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, so you have other dogs. Yeah, yeah I got Jezebel and uh, Maximilian. Okay. They all, they both. Now, did you have them when Flash was still alive? Jezebel. I had Jezebel. I got Jezebel when Flash was, he was 10 and Jezebel came into the household and she's, um, she, he, she's much nicer to Maximilian. So then when Flash passed away, Jezebel was lonely. So I I was going to say, is she okay? Yeah. So Maximilian came in and they're, they're best buds. Those two. It's, it's hard on them. I think. Oh, yeah. The neighbors told me that they could hear her howling, and that was when I made the decision Aww. to get another dog. Is she a dachshund, too? Yeah, they're all dog. I'm a big dachshund lover. Oh, I love that. Maximilian's a dachshund, How too. tiny is a, is a mini dachshund? They're about this big, both of them. Oh, yeah. they're just tiny. They're little guys. Oh, that's wonderful. They snuggle right up when I sleep. So are you still in San Diego, or did you move up here? No, I live here now. Okay. Yeah. When did you move up here, and uh, how was that? I kind of just checked out of law school and came up. And oh, so you've been here for a while. Yeah, I've been here for probably about almost 14 years. Okay. Yeah, I've been here a long time. So I was only there about a year and a half, almost two years. And okay. then I came up here and, yeah, I, I got right into doing stand-up and, um, you know, trying to get the auditions and everything going. But I was, I was, and I have, you know, my day job in fitness, but it was kind of just getting so spread out. And I, I just want the show. Like, let me yeah. get this done. And it's almost like I want to do it and... I want to, you know, you just know that I don't ever want to speak about suicide again, but I have the specific mission with the show. And once it's done, then I'm ready to explore other avenues for my 
you know, writing and That's awesome. Comedy, yeah. and, and you do comedy on the side or you just do this I do, now? yeah. Okay. I do it here and there. Um, I've been so focused on this show, though, but I do. I, I love to get up and do, you know, I don't have like a five or ten minute set. Just funniness about life and, you know, sex and politics. Not so much nothing about suicide no that's not one show about suicides enough the one show yes exactly um what is um what is the difference from an artistic standpoint in doing a stand-up show and doing a one-woman show well in my stand-up i have never at least for me i've never really mastered storytelling in stand-up you know and stand-up i do set up punch set up punch you know set up set up punch punch Whereas in a show, you're just doing this slow build. You know, you have this this story, and you're building it, and you're building it, and you're telling the story around it, and you're taking your audience on this roller coaster ride where you're slowly taking them up, 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 and then you just drop them, and then you kind of take them into those sad moments. I mean, when I do my stand up, there's maybe 20 seconds of silence before a laugh. In my show, it'll be a good seven minutes. And, oh, right. And that was really uncomfortable when I first started because I was like, oh, my God, they're bored. Oh, they're judging me. <laughs> they're not laughing. Yeah. They're, and then you, then I realized after doing the show, you know, 20-something times, I was like, oh, they're listening. They're really on board with me. And so that's a big difference because you're not when you're a stand-up, you're not used to silence for that long. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's true. It's more like doing a play. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, exactly. do you write the entire thing? Is it all written down somewhere, and then yeah. you've memorized yeah. it? Yeah. And then I memorize it. And yep. that's pretty standard with a one-person show, too, yeah. right? That it actually this is show scripted. Is Forty-six pages now. It's Forty-six okay. pages. Yeah. So. And I, how does that translate live? About an hour. It's about hour, hour, hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot, uh, but. It's kind of, I mean, I've always done my stand-up like that. I've never just gone in and like, well, I'll just swing it and see if I'm funny. I'm, I'm always uh, very... I do with stand-up, but I think with something like a one-person show or a cabaret show or something, mm-hmm. you really have to have a script. Yeah. I mean, I think that you would just kind of babble on and on, and you still have to have... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, and you You'd still... go off on one tangent, and that'd be an hour and 15 minutes right yeah, there. Yeah, and you know, almost you probably would be at your life, and you, and I hear this a lot, you, you know, my show is very, it's kind of chronological order, and I think if it wasn't written down, I'd be like, oh wait, I have to tie back this story from when I was eight, and you know, now yeah. I'm 35, or now I'm, you know, might confuse people. Is it is it hard not to make the show longer and longer as more years of your life pass? No, um, no, I think that's pretty easy to keep it cut down because okay. uh, you have you have, but it's because it, you're literally it's like you know, you're decorating almost where it's like okay this story can come out now because now I have this story, or okay so some things you put in some things you take out yeah you kind of just it's a puzzle piece and you're moving things around like I just went through literally like the show was booked and then like the show hit a hiccup and I was like all right well I'm gonna rewrite it and how my favorite stories happy and sad and I'm gonna put them in order. And um, I kind of just, and all of a sudden, I I ripped two huge scenes out and dropped two huge scenes in that I thought flowed better and were funnier because the the dark scenes are always going to be the dark scenes. Um, but you know, you have to find a way. You, you, I added flash passing away. Well, you can't end a show on suicide with the dog dying because hell, do you want your audience to right. be, y'all leave wanting to kill themselves? You can't right. do that. So then I had to kind of weave another story in at the end to be able to place talking about flash passing away have you found that you have sort of in a way become a spokesperson for suicide 
that people want to tell you their stories after they oh, see yeah, it. Absolutely. People want to find you on Facebook after they've seen it and connect and share. Oh, you know what happened to me or what happened mm-hmm. to my friend? Yeah, I do get a lot of stories and, and emails from people, and that's, that's okay. I think because one thing about my approach, I mean, I've done a lot of talks and, and, and uh I have the humor aspect that a lot of people don't have. You know, they they bring out their statistics and these are the pills you can take and whatever. And I am just, you know, like, yeah, it sucks. But, you know, I made some jokes and, you know, even uh, uh, I was talking to my friend and, uh, I, I, you know, I always see the punchline, well, don't worry, it's not like I'm going to kill myself. And, you know, I have that humor with people. And so people are comfortable to come talk to me about that where others are like, you know, when they're so kind of, yeah. This is the statistic, and uh, if you say I want to kill, you know, I'm thinking of killing myself. They want to shove pills down your throat, or I'm kind of like, well, what happened? I don't think it's that big of a deal. Let's let's think of something funny to kind of yeah pull yourself out of it. Almost like Joan Rivers said, "Look, life is tough. You better learn to laugh at it, or you'll Absolutely. never get out of life." Absolutely, yeah. But I think if you decide that you're going to be somebody like we talked about, who speaks openly about how they feel about things mm-hmm. publicly, mm-hmm. then suddenly you become an advocate for everything that's ever happened to you. And yeah. people want to come and talk to you about it. Yeah, and I feel like I have a responsibility, you know. Um, I do, too. I feel the same way. I don't feel that everyone who's been through it has a responsibility. I think it's a personal decision. It's but I do true. feel like once I made that decision, there's no turning back from that. Yeah, and I've I've said this before in an interview. Um I can't remember, maybe, maybe like three or four years ago, there was a guy who had, uh, he had written a lot of books for teenagers about feeling suicidal and then he took his own life. Oh, man. And before I got on show, stage for the first time with the show, I had like this conversation with myself like, look, if you make the decision to go up here and tell these people life is worth living, then you have a responsibility and you never do that. Because then if you're the spokesperson and you do this, well, you know, what is, what's going to be the aftermath? You, you have to, you know, it's a big responsibility. And especially yeah. with suicide, because I'm not a doctor. And I've had people tell me, oh, I want to kill myself. And I'm like, okay, did you call a doctor? But I also say that's when people, you know people are listening. Because when I was really suicidal, people would be like, oh, no, you, we all feel like that. And I'm like, no, if you really felt like that, that wouldn't be your response. Your response would be, do, you need to, do, we, need to, do we need to get you help? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, I guess. And that's a hard thing, because everybody says... You know, I have I have friends who whom I love that struggle with depression or manic depression mm-hmm. and on and off medication and sometimes the medication stops working. And they have thought about suicide many times in their life. I'm I'm very thankful in my life that's something I thought about a lot of things but not suicide. Um but you just kind of live with them knowing that's a part of them. Mm-hmm. It's like I have friends who have cancer but they they're in remission, they're out of remission. That doesn't mean they're going to die tomorrow because they have cancer. Right. So it's just something that they live with is that 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 idea of ending their life hangs in their periphery. It's true. And you can't make their whole life about that. So every time they pick up a fork, (laughs) you start freaking out. They're going to stab themselves in the eye. Right. You know, you just have to understand that we all have things that are weaknesses in us. It's true. And that just happens to be one of theirs. It's absolutely true. I have a good friend and for, I mean, she still does. And I have to start by saying, okay, don't cry. Because if I would say, like, you know, I'm feeling like killing myself or this makes me... She would just lose it and cry hysterically. So now I'm like, don't cry, and now I'm going to make the joke. And so... And, and other friends, they know that, okay, this is just how she feels. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's okay. I mean, it's it's 
I think that that's something we have to realize is that we don't have to we don't have to put such a dramatic no you no. know weirdness around it. it it's because then people feel like they can't talk about their feelings and I think one of the most important things for people who feel suicidal or have horrible bad depression or anxiety is to be able to come out and say I- I'm not okay and I need to talk about it mm-hmm. and just talking about it makes it better right you know whenever I'm I just went through like a crazy medical thing this summer and it was really scary and just when I thought it was over I went through another one and just when I thought that was over I went through another one and in the end everything turned out to be not as bad as it could have been or they thought it was but still it was three scary things in three months <laughs> right so I have friends my best friends that know that when I call them that there are things in my body that I get nervous about, things that I don't want to hear, everything that's on the internet or the worst thing that can happen. Right. So I'll call and say, okay, this is a thing where you need to be gentle with me, but this <laughs> happened and what do you think? And they know to, 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 to be honest and tell me what they really think without saying, you know what it could be? Yeah. It could be this and it could be this and it could be this. Oh my God, this and oh my God, this. And then they want to tell you about 50 people it's happened to and, and I'm like, they want to know, ah. and then they tell them to call you. There's always that, oh, they'll call you. Yeah. And, yeah. You know what it could be and you yeah. know what happened to my friend? Yeah, exactly. They thought it was a hangnail and then it's, she died. It's so true. So, you know, I think it's that you have to have people in your life that that understand that not every part of you is, is rock solid and to take care of the parts of you that might be a little softer. Yeah, exactly. And and there's always that fine line, you know, because something I always say is it, if you're preparing to tell people that you, you, you're you suicidal, you need to be prepared that they may not hear you or they, they may kind of just like disregard it or want to avoid you because then you feel worse, you know. So so I've learned with people, you yes. can tell right away off of their reaction, like, oh, I'm just never going to tell them, you know. Yeah, now, is it something that you still think about or is it pretty much past I've, you? No, I mean, I have days where I'm like, oh, I just don't want to live. Like, and I'm used to it. I'm so sorry. It's like a, you know, and that's the thing is once it's, that's that line in, um, Oh my God! Girl interrupted. Winona Ryder says it like once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. You yeah. make an A on the test, you want to yeah. live. You miss the bus, you want to kill yourself. Yeah. And so yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not perfect. I have bad days, and I go where I, my feelings get hurt, and I don't want to live, or there's no reason at all. I just don't want to live. And it's like you said, you know, I work through it. I hide it, but yeah, I'll come home and have a breakdown, and and, and that's where I'm closed off. Is I don't call anybody to go through it you know the dogs yeah. kind of just talk me through it or I just you know cry out for a night <laughs> you know and- what and that's I have to tell you I am one of those people that I feel better once I get it out yeah I think I'm an oral processor <laughs> and that's probably why I speak for a living yeah and also I grew up with no family just my mom so I didn't have like oh the like, aunt's gonna call and grandma's gonna call and everyone's gonna tell me what's going on it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. So when we freaked out, we would ask each other things. But interesting story, my mother kept a lot more inside than I did because she wasn't lucky enough to have her as a mother. Right. And now that she's passed, I'm cleaning out her office right now. And I'm finding all these journals. And I found this journal where it was just, I don't think I've talked about this on the air. It was just four pages of her being terrified something was physically wrong with her oh and gosh. being scared to tell me. And because she had had a, at one point, had they thought a blood clot in her leg, and she thought a blood clot had come back and was in her arm, and it oh was apparently right before I was doing some you know theater thing in high school, and she was terrified that she would miss it, and because she was my only relative, she was so scared something would happen to her before I was of age, and it was literally she was just panicked, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh my god, this is just like one of my panics. Yeah. So in some ways, we kept our panics to ourselves, but they were exactly the same. Right. So now because she's no longer here 
unfortunately for my friends, somebody has to hear it. Yeah. Because if I keep it inside, I'll go crazy. Yeah. I mean, I will literally flip myself out from not telling anybody. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I yeah, I, I'm still kind of on the worst days. I hide it. Most, you know, I smile through it. I'm super funny. Uh, but the problem is, I still have that thing with my hair. So people will see that I have a bald spot, and then oh. they'll, then it comes up. Like, why, why yeah. do you have a bald? Spot? What's the matter? Or if I can't stop touching my hair, yeah, and I'm not saying things, my friends will say, "Okay, you're touching your hair. What's the matter?" Yeah, you know. So it, it's for me. Yeah, sometimes some people I can tell. Some people like I can tell all the funny things, all the great things, oh, the things that piss me off. But when I don't want to live, I kind of just say, "It's one of those days." Yeah. I can tell people um, once it's over. Yeah. But when it's going on, it's almost like I get strange, like superstitious about it. Like Mm -hmm. no one can say the word kidney because, (laughs) do you know what I mean? I get really like, it's like I just go completely inside. And when I took myself to the hospital, I had an irregular heartbeat in June that was caused by a drug reaction. And I literally waited until it stopped. I got in the car. I drove to Newport Beach because I grew up in Huntington, and that's the hospital I know. I went to the hospital I knew, mm-hmm. and I went by myself. And people were like, and I put on Facebook a picture of the TV they mount to the wall in a little ER cubicle. And people were like, my friends would start saying, like, where are you, and why aren't I there? And I'm like, I just kind of like dealing with it on my own till I know what's going on. Right. Yeah, you you are right. Maybe I'm closed off too. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I need to go see your therapist and talk about that. (laughs) I mean, you have to, like, there are moments where I get scared that it's so bad. So I've learned to, like, I'll text my, it's funny because my sister's always been tough love. But over the last couple of years, we've gotten pretty close. So I'll just text her, like, it's one of those days. And next thing I know, like, what is it? What do you need? What do you need? You need money? What's the matter? Aww. And then, like, then my brother. Do you need then, money? Then my brother-in-law's calling, and he's, what's the matter? Well, your sister's yelling at me. What's the matter? And then, uh, you know, she'll say, what's the matter? And I'll be like, oh, you know, like, whatever. It's a hard day at work. Okay, well, all jobs suck. What else? Well, this guy I'm dating, oh. well, all men are assholes. So what else? Oh, she's not very Italian. She's more like an, uh, one of my Irish relatives. Yeah, that's what she'll do. Oh, well, all jobs suck or, you know. Yeah. All bosses are assholes. Wow, she's a beacon all... of sympathy. Yeah, yeah. She just um, turned her radio off and then, now. Yeah, she'll say, "Oh, you, you know, you think the guy you're dating's an asshole? Meet my husband." You know, she oh my does god! All that. And oh my, she's she's fantastically awful. So it's funny because she's just that's how, but she makes me laugh because that's what she does. Is she kind of is just tough love, like yeah. But it helps, and I kind of I just change that in my show because. You know, that's that big sisterly love. But, you know, I think it's just it makes me laugh because it's funny because she's she's like, keep moving. This is life. It's tough. You have to keep going. And, you know, and then but she always ends it with I love you. And so it works. You know, it's whatever you can do to keep yourself afloat. And now I you know, since that, I'm not afraid to tell her like, hey, it's a bad, you know, I don't feel like living today. All right. Here we are. We're here. You know, we get through it and we move forward. Right. Wow, that's, uh, that's, yeah, I have a friend like that, too. My best friend's like that. She's not really on the inside, but on the outside, she's very crusty. She's like a Cadbury cream egg. She's crusty on the outside and gooey in the middle, but not really anybody knows she's gooey, but I know she's gooey. If she's listening right now, she's just turned her radio off. But she'll do the same thing. She'll be like, she'll say something really funny and really kind of sardonic and make me laugh. Uh And then it won't seem so bad anymore. Yeah. Well, and my sister is, you know, she's very tough love on me texting, but I'm sure she's, you know, crying over there because she gets upset. She doesn't, you know, she, it stresses her out. She doesn't want me to. 
So you, you it's awesome. Yeah, you learn you, you learn who you can talk to and who you can't. Yeah, absolutely. So what is it like for you throughout the year? I mean, pretty much your year ramps up to this night, right? Oh, it's and, and when is it this year? It's uh, October 20th. Okay. Yeah, and it's funny because my boss is always like, Riz, you need to take some time off. And I'm like, nope, I'll tell you when. Nope, I'll tell you when. No, I don't want to take time off. Riz, you need to, You haven't been on vacation. Riz, you, the only day you took off is when you, you know, were dying of strep throat. No, I'll tell you when. No, I'll tell you when. As I'm a workaholic, but uh, the minute the show comes up, this is like, it's everything. And, and like nothing can get in my way like everything gets just it stops and it's like this is the most important thing in the world to me and so it's it's exciting that's fantastic yeah and it's it's, really awesome I mean I, I I spend all my money on you know getting people to help me and I mean, everything that I can possibly do, because I believe in it, and, and it has to, it's, it's, you know, it has to go where I want it to go, because it's, it's got a message, it's funny, and it, but my main mission is that I don't want my friends to die and they're, they're not be remembered. It's beautiful. I want their lives to have meant something, and if I can get the show, you know, on film or to Broadway and people hear it, they'll remember, they'll be remembered. And is that your goal? I was just going to ask you that, is, is to get it either to make it into a film, to get it on film somewhere like on television, mm-hmm. like HBO Showtime kind of thing, yeah, or to actually perform it on Broadway? I mean, I have been, I mean, I am a, everything that I've studied on John Leguizamo, that's what I would love, is to go on tour with it, to, to do it on Broadway a little bit, and then for it to be filmed for like a HBO special. That's my That's goal. Wonderful. It's been my goal since I wrote the first sentence, and I do not plan on stopping until... That happens. That's fantastic. And I have no idea how to get it there. <laughs> but, but you're working on it. I'm working on it, yeah. And I, Do you, you know, think you'll fill the improv? Have you, have I, you filled I, rooms that day? I don't, I don't think I will unless we're um, – Dylan and I from Laughspin, Laughspin is producing mm-hmm. it. They're um, – we're trying to find somebody who's a big name to introduce me. If I can find that person to introduce me that night, yes. But if I can't, I, I'm pretty sure I can get 100 seats sold. It's a 200-seat theater. I could get 100 seats sold. But if I, if I can find someone to introduce me, that, that will help the cause. And then if they introduce you, then people come out to see them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, pretty much, yeah. Oh, I'm sure you can find that. We're well. It's it. I've been on the mission, that's for sure. So, um, and you know, Dylan and Lastman, he's 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 working his butt off and helping me. And um, I got here. you here. Yeah, he did get me here. And I, and I and I emailed him like yesterday. I emailed him the Steve Harvey link, and I was like, Hey, what about this? And he was like, No, you're gonna look like they're gonna make you look crazy. And I was like, Okay, I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. I won't email. <laughs> so well, um, I'm honored that he brought you here. Yeah, I was super excited. He was like, hey, do you want to, can you do this? And I'm like, I'm there. I told him, like, I work, you know, all year for this. Like, this is, you know, so I go wherever you need me, send me there. And he gave me the biggest gift I've ever gotten. Um, He got an interview with John Leguizamo, so I actually got to speak to him. And oh, interview him myself, and it was—I mean—and tell him how much that his show affected yeah, you. Yeah, and I was, but I didn't do it till the end because he has a great new film coming out. But I was shaking, you know, my whole—I—I I was just, and I stayed up, and I've already studied everything about him, so it's not like I—but I, I watched the movie two times, and I had all my questions written out, and and I sounded—I, you know, I recorded the interview, so I sounded very calm, but I was shaking. But then in the end, I did tell him about how much he inspired me, and, and you could hear it in my voice how much I was. 
kind of shaking. But, I mean, he, he said you just have to keep going. Do it as much as you can do that show. Keep going. And it takes a lot of courage to do a, a solo show. And as long as you believe in it and you love it, you'll get it where it needs to go. I agree. I had um, Orson Bean in here maybe six months ago. And he's doing one. He's done a couple, but he's doing one now. And I believe he's 89. Wow. And he got a gig in Santa Monica doing eight shows a week with it. Wow. And uh, and, and a lot of stuff, a lot of really difficult stuff from his childhood and stuff in this one. So how amazing for a man who's, you know, 90 mm-hmm. to get up eight shows a week and kind of go through all of that funny but also all of that sad and bring all that stuff up and just continue to get up every day and go to the theater and do it. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. It just is. Amaz- and I believe... It got extended. I mean, he was really selling it out. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, it's people it's want to go see that. It's a journey that you take with another person yeah. when you see something like that live. Yeah, and that was one of the questions I asked in the interview was about Ghetto Clown because that was I said, do you go through that moment where the next day you're, you know, and the scabs are ripped off? Because I, the first couple times I did it, I didn't understand. I remember the day after, the morning after, after Katie died, watching G.I. Jane on repeat. The movie just kept playing and playing and playing. And I was staring at the TV. I didn't blink, but the tears just were pouring out of me. There was no, like, you know, no noise, no nothing. It was just this these tears. And I go through that after I perform every single time where wow. it's not like I'm, you know, there's this loud, you know, wailing cry, but it's like the next day I'm, I'm cleaning, I'm doing everything, but tears just pour and it, it takes a lot. So to be, you know, in your eighties doing something like that, I, I, I have to imagine. Well, I think with you and I'm no therapist, but I'm the child of one. I, I think that, and the grandchild of one. Oh, there you go. Well, then I ran away and joined the circus, and then look where I wound up in the same day. Di- my mom said, you know what you do is not all that different. I'm like, shut up. No, it's just out um, loud for everybody to hear. I think that maybe if you are a person that covers yourself in layers of, of, of filter, mm-hmm. filtering your emotions on the inside from the outside world, you can't do that when you perform. So it's like for one night the door opens up Mm -hmm. and there's no more filter there. Right. So I would imagine it takes you a couple of days to learn to shut the door again. Yes. So that you can then go on with your life. And yeah, and you keep pe- I, I keep people away from me. I've never while you're know, reclosing the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I keep people away. Like I always stay in um, like a hotel room the night of the show, yeah. and I'm very really. Yeah, that's just, interesting. Cause it, I, it's like I need a place where nobody is around me, and I've been single for re- a long time. So these times I've done the show all through like performing the show. Yeah. So I've never had someone want to be there with me, but I still don't know that that's something I want like I need that time yeah. to so even though do you live alone with yeah my two dogs so but you still stay in a hotel yeah that night well my parents come okay they always come for their show so they'll be here and, and they stay in the house stay, they stay with the dogs yeah okay and then it's uh, interesting because when I was young I had very bad anxiety mm-hmm. and when I had a, a show I was doing or I was playing with my band or something I would do the same thing I would stay in a, a motel yeah and there was something about being alone in the motel that became kind of a neutral space it is for me to kind of calm the hell down yeah it is and you can I mean I can't ever sleep except for in a hotel for some reason it's dark and oh, really? Yeah, I wake up all night long constantly, except for in a hotel. And it's like, you know, I get, I, you know, the hair and makeup, everybody comes in before the show. And then kind of we we go over and yeah, I always stay in a hotel room and it's just, 
it's for some reason I that's how you get through it and then you you keep going but yeah wow. that's my absolute goal I would I mean I have this mission that I you know the show's number one the show is I've put everything on hold for that show that show has to get where it I want it to go so wow my friends are remembered and it saves lives and their their you know their struggles and their pain saves other people and it saves me every time I do it so wonderful all right before we go tell me really quick first of all uh when is the show how can people get tickets and what is the charity this time so this is the um the proceeds are going to Dee Hirsch they are an LA charity um they all of their um they focus on suicide prevention and and uh, people helping people who have lost uh, loved ones to suicide and so they're going to be there that evening that's where the proceeds are going the improv is extremely generous to give us the space and give that's all the wonderful. proceeds to them and um, the show is Thursday October 20th at 7.30pm in the main room at the Hollywood Improv and you can get tickets on the, the Hollywood Improv's uh, website I love that. That's wonderful. And will you come back afterwards and we'll do it again? And yes, we'll recap? absolutely. Once your filter's back on? Yeah, or maybe off. <laughs> oh, maybe while it's still off. That would be even more fun. Yeah, that might. you're right. I'll, awesome. I'll, I'll have my tissues. And where can people find you online? I am, um, you can, uh, JeanetteRizzi.com, two N's, two T's, two Z's. And then also uh, Facebook, JeanetteRizzi, two N's, two T's, and two Z's. Fantastic. <laughs> do it, people. And if you missed that, uh, SheenaMetalExperience.com, LATalkRadio.com. And I'm at Sheena Metal everywhere. Uh, send me an email, and I will gladly send that link over to you and the link for the show as well. It's the Sheena Metal Experience on LA Talk Radio. A quick break, and we're right back with you with much more radio fun and another wonderful guest right after this. You're listening to the Sheena Metal Experience with your host, Sheena Metal, right here on LA Talk Radio. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. The Performing Arts Institute separates itself from other actor training programs because of its unique focus on developing an actor's talent from classroom to set. The personalized training that creative director Paul Kampf offers gives actors a deep understanding of how to access real, undeniable truth, whether on stage, screen, or in the audition room that opens the doors to a career. Visit www.paitraining.com for more information. Film Lab is the professional production arm of PAI Training, where the focus is providing actors with high-level opportunities to shoot feature films, short films, and series projects, all with the goal of providing actors the best platform for their talent to be noticed. Film Lab supports the actors that call PAI their creative home. Visit www.paitraining.com for more information. Hello, 
Hello, fellow culinary curiosities. I'm Tony Spatafora, host of the cooking show Dish It Out. What I love most is to get a few people together, tell a few stories, and get the party started in the kitchen. Because really, that's where the heart of any party is. If you need some easy, healthy, time-saving tricks, well, come on by our YouTube channel at Dish It Out TV to join in on the laughter, celebrity guests, and overall zaniness. So come hungry, get ready to taste a better life, because we're going to dish it out. Music master Joe Finley brings his unique brand of soulful rock to his new project, The Swansons. For decades, Finley has given music lovers a remarkably eclectic mixture of rock, soul, pop, and country into lyrics that reflect moments of sadness, joy, pain, happiness, and hope. The Swansons' new self-titled album gives listeners glimpses of all of that, plus a new element of fun and frolic in many of the tracks that makes it as great to dance to as to listen to. Take a music journey with The Swansons. Visit www. Swansonsmusic.com California legislator sends Bill SB 524 to Governor Brown to protect youth against institutional abuse. This bill would regulate residential programs notorious for abusing, attempting to convert LGBT youth. Let's be the change. Every child deserves to be treated with dignity and humanity. Stand with the Los Angeles LGBT Center and SIA organization against child abuse. Support SB 524. Go to PYIA.org and let your voice be heard. Come on down to the Boundaries Bash Fest, a free outdoor concert to redefine disabilities. This event will take place Saturday, September 17th from noon to 5 p.m. It'll be located at the Stone Ridge Town Center off of Highway 60 at Eucalyptus Avenue in Moreno Valley. Featuring the talents of Sean Forbes, Rachel Flowers, Dan Potts, the Infinite Flow Wheelchair Dance Company, the Joel Gaines Trio, Jay Mike and Friends with Aretha Shrugs, and many more. Please, we request that you only bring lawn chairs to this event. No umbrellas or easy-ups. Please bring a non-perishable food item for our local food bank. This event was made possible by grants from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Moreno Valley Unified School District. Hosted by the Moreno Valley Cultural Arts Foundation. Be there. You won't want to miss this. Guitar, an amazing instrument. It has developed into an incredible voice in today's music. So many types of guitars, so many styles of playing, all sorts of gear. How does one make their voice be heard as a guitarist? My name is Jeff Floro and welcome to All About Guitar, where we talk tone, we talk technique, we talk gear. So join me 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time at www.latalkradio.com on Channel 1. And let's explore all about guitar. Hey everybody, it's Garrett Miller. Check out my brand new album, Blonde Jesus Voted Number 1 Rock Electronica and the hit single, Gay Wedding. It's a nice day for a gay wedding. Today at GarrettMiller.com. 
Om Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Om Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. Check out Child of the 70s, a brand new web series starring Michael Vaccaro, Bruce Valanche, Jerry Jewell, Allison Arngrim, Dee Wallace, Susan Olsen, Ann Walker, Johnny Hazard, Leo Forte, and Sheena Metal. You can find us on YouTube or go to the official Child of the 70s.com. That's the official Child of the 70s.com. It's groovy. Hello, this is Larry Russ, former keyboardist and vocalist for Iron Butterfly, and I'm here to tell you about that abuse is an epidemic in our world. Abuse has many forms, spousal and child abuse, sex and human traffic victims, and sexual abuse. Musicians Against Abuse wants to do something about it, and you can help. Contact maabuse.com. That's M-A-A-B-U-S-E.com. Join me and let's do something about it. maabuse.com. In a place called Boys Town, do gay men ever grow up? The hit web series, Old Dogs and New Tricks. Or do we just grow old? See why critics say it's one of the better gay web series. Savvy. We flip for it. Witty. Get it? Edgy. I'm having sex. And addicting. Sort of. Relive the laughs. The only way to get over someone. The love. Is to get someone else under you. And all that sex. Old Dogs and New Tricks. A funny affair that will keep you watching episode after episode. Only at ODNT.TV. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to the Sheena Metal Experience with your host, Sheena Metal. Right here on LA Talk Radio. It's the Sheena Metal Experience right here on LA Talk Radio. For more info on the show, latalkradio.com, sheenametalexperience.com. Don't forget to email me and let me know what you think of the show. On social media, I'm at Sheena Metal everywhere. My guest all this hour is also debuting on the show. She's a wonderfully talented filmmaker, and her new film is called Call Me Ma'am. Please welcome the wonderful Adrienne Camille. Hello, my friend. How are you? It's wonderful to have you here. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I wish I'd taped the show before the show, because we were having (laughs) talked about so many good things, didn't we? Just waiting for the break to go. Yes. So tell my listeners a little bit about you, um, where you grew up and a little bit of where your life went. Um, You're a veteran of the military. And when you decided to get into the arts? Well, the funny thing is I was an artist and then I sidetracked to the military. I gave that all up and went into the military. Um, I'm from a small town in Texas called Humble. H-U-M-B-L-E, Humble, Texas. Oh, wow. Yep. And if you want to get out of a town like that, um, New York City and L.A. was a too big of a dream for someone 
in a small place like that. So sure. what do you do? What do you do instead of going to a scary place like New York or L.A.? You join the military. That's that's what you do. Okay, so you were, but you were in high school and you were in plays or something yeah. and you were involved in the arts. Yeah, plays, sing, dance. I was head of the, uh, basically our, our media department and was making movies when I was in high school. And when you're from a place like Humble, do you think <laughs> that uh, it's not possible to have a career in the arts? It, Does that seem kind of out of reach? Oh, it was absolutely out of reach. It was a, it was a silly dream and... While I did have a couple friends go after it, I'm the last one that's still that's still chasing the dream that hasn't moved back to Humble and yeah. you know procreated and continued the the cycle because nobody really leaves that town. Yeah, nobody maybe takes off for college for a year or two, maybe four, and then they tend to come back. Everybody. It's, it's interesting because I was telling you during the break that I grew up in Orange County. You know, really when it was very, it bragged that it was the California Bible Belt. And when I went to my <laughs> ten year reunion, everybody was like, "Are you still doing that?" And they were all kind of disgusted. Mm-hmm. And they all had their you know ninety children. Mm-hmm. But then by the time the twentieth came around, uh, MySpace had started. And we were starting to get on Facebook. By the 30th, everybody was on Facebook. And, and then everybody started finding me and were like, oh, I love what you do. Because by then <laughs> they realized that maybe getting married and having kids wasn't that great. And they missed being in the arts. Mm. Oh, you're so brave. Right. I mean, I but boy, I would... at that tenure, I was the scourge. Mm-hmm. It was like, what are you doing? Just get married and have children. Right. There, uh, My hometown is still juggling with the idea. They all think I'm a lesbian because I you know talk down here i joined the military in high school god forbid i cut my hair off and wore glasses oh and here i am in my 30s not married with kids so therefore and i can i have proof you're not a lesbian if you were a lesbian you'd be married (laughs) every gay person i know is married in five minutes within getting in a relationship now so the fact you're not married means you have to be straight yep there we go that's fantastic (laughs) so um so did you like the military and why did you pick the navy i I did. Um, I joined the Navy because my father was in the Navy, my uncle was in the Navy, my grandfather was in the Navy, my grandmother was in the Navy. We're a Navy family. My brother joined the Marine. Right. And uh, my dad wanted me to be a pilot like he was. I I did get a full scholarship from ROTC, went to the University of Texas, uh, commissioned as an officer. And originally, I wanted to go to Marines, and the Marines are part of the Navy. So I got my Navy Marine Corps scholarship, and if you go to the Naval Academy, you graduate Navy or Marine Corps. Turns out, (laughs) Navy Marine Corps scholarship is only for Navy. Marines had a separate one. So I would have had to give up the the full ride I already had before I could even apply for the Marine Corps Did you go to the Naval Academy? I didn't. I applied, and I ended up getting into the business school at the University of Texas. Okay. So I was able to still commission into the navy and still have a full college experience it was it was it was the best of both worlds so, so you went to the navy after college i did okay so you went to college to, to become to qualify to become an officer correct and then you went into the navy from there yes okay <laughs> and was it scary the whole time in college thinking oh when this is done i gotta go into the navy no it was actually very relaxing oh because i had a job waiting for me as soon as i was done isn't that nice? It was. College was paid for. All I had to do was get B's. I was studying something I really enjoyed. I got to study abroad in Japan. Um, it, it was a it was very freeing experience. So long as I took care of my bills, there wasn't this, oh, my God, what am I going to do when I get out? Which yeah. so many of, even back when I graduated, I was 2007. I was studying at the business school. I have a degree in finance. And what I learned there was that I knew the market was going to fall. 
So taking that full ride and taking that government job, and then as soon as I commissioned, I took an overseas job in Japan. Wow. And then lo and behold, six months, eight months later, the whole market crashes, and my friends that I graduated with from my university, they were all jobless. Yeah. It was a hard time. It was a surprise for most people. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was. A, I think it was a surprise for all of us. It was. It was a hard time. I I was working as a live music promoter my whole life, and I thought, you know, no matter what happens with artistic projects, I will always be able to make a living at this because people will always come out and see live music. But then suddenly nobody had jobs. People don't mm. have jobs and have money to go to bars and see music. Right. And suddenly everything was done, and bars were closing, and everything was shutting down, and it mm-hmm. all happened like in a six month period. And I thought, mm-hmm. this is craziness. So I would imagine it was for people who were kind of in the business world, it must have been even more scary because people with real lives think they'll never lose their job. Right. And just imagine if you're 22, you just graduated college, you're now on Wall Street and you've got a $100,000 a year job at 22 in New York City. Yeah. Yeah. They they probably spent that first year of money very wisely. Yeah. No. No. Where it costs that for rent to live in a shoebox. It's $100,000 a year. And then it only was going to go up. Yeah. And they they bought into all the promises and all the there's a they reinforced everything that they were doing on Wall Street yeah. in schools, especially the finance where I was at. Um whenever these Panama papers come out or whenever that building that has 10,000 businesses um in it, but there's only it's only a couple stories, they teach us to do that in business school. Yeah. So it was it's not crazy. a surprise to me when it comes out, but it surprised everybody else. So everything that was doing, they were teaching us, and it was just compounding. And for me, we were learning the same formulas in my derivatives valuation classes that we were also using in theoretical physics. And if it's theoretics and physics, but it's actuality and valuations and finance, something doesn't work. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, is it odd for somebody who's fast-tracking towards going into the military to get a business degree? Yes. Okay. I was one of the very, I was the only one in okay. the history of the business school that did not go into business that actually went into the military. Wow, because I think of a lot of people who are going into the military getting degrees in like engineering and things that have more of a technical bent to them. Some. Some just all, some just have liberal arts degrees, history degrees, government degrees. Um, a lot of them do have engineering, especially, we're all required to take engineering classes in case we end up being nuclear engineers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Which so I you, ended up doing. <laughs> so you went to the Navy, yeah. and then you went to Japan. I did. And um, did you, did, was the Navy, was it what you thought it was going to be? No. It was not what I thought it was going to be at all. Um I was at 22, thrown into the engineering department with a finance degree. Oh, it's good you took those engineering classes. <laughs> it was. Uh, thrown in there. I uh, had 40 people working for me. It was lots of management. It was lots of headbutting with men who were twice my age, who didn't want to do what I was telling them to do or what they were required to do. And it's... It's just this challenge where you have to stand up and you have to earn people's respect through the ways that women always have to earn respect, which is work harder, no more, try harder. Yeah. And after a while, I earned my respect. Stay unemotional. Well, you you get angry enough. You can get angry. Angry's fine. Um, Sad, cry, never do that in front of anybody. And if you have to do it, just 
say you have to leave the room and leave the room and then yeah i found anger never worked either i found the best way to deal with it was always just to act very casual and middle of the road and just kind of keep your emotions at bay and act like nothing was that big of a deal because there are people i mean even growing up in this business there are people who will just kind of you know goad you on to to see if they Mm. get you angry right and it just doesn't it doesn't work it it doesn't work in the civilian sector in the military it that having that anger because because they will come at you full full anger and you have to push back full anger. Oh, maybe I should have been in the military. Yes. I'm good at that. I'm Irish. I, uh, yes. I'm set up for that. <laughs> yes. My temper definitely came in to, to help me because wow. it, they learned, hey, if you're going to, don't try to pick a fight with her because she'll win. Wow. So what did you love about it? I honestly loved being able to take these 18 and 19 year old kids who didn't know, you have come come from a place like I did and they didn't have a lot of money and they didn't know where they were going and they were would have ended up in jail and places like that but instead they joined the military because they wanted to change and then to turn them into these shining model citizens and these shining sailors and sailors of the year sailors of the month getting awards you know them being able to get to their dreams i had one sailor who was a total pain he was 18 when he came to me and almost got himself thrown out of the navy in the first month that i had him working for me that's a whole nother story but now he's a pararescuer for the military and uh, upstanding citizen. He's I'm so proud of what he's accomplished in his life, mostly because I was always on him making sure he was doing what he had to do. That's wonderful. I love that. That's fantastic. So how long were you in active? I was active duty for about four years. Okay. And then I moved to reserve work and moved out here to L.A., Okay. So how long total? So you were in the ROTC while you were in college. Right. So now we're at eight years. Then you came here, and how long were you in the reserves? Uh, uh, It ends up to be about 11 years altogether. Total. Total. Okay. And then then when you came out here, did you love it? L.A.? Yeah. Or the reserves? No, L.A. L.A. has taken a few years for me to like. Really? It has. Did you like the reserves right away? Okay, so the whole thing took a while. (laughs) The whole thing took a while. It did. Um, The reserves, I went from being a very hardcore sailor to it's going from a full-time job to a part-time job. Yeah. (laughs) And I was still in, we're we're going to war. We got to make sure we do all this, like, talk down here kind of. very. Oh, you were tough. I was, I am tough. I just have learned to tone it down a little bit. Okay, no, you're tough on the inside, but I mean, you were tough on the outside then. Yes. It was a joke that my roommates, that I moved into a house out here in the valley, and uh, it was a joke that I was a pit bull because I walked around still kind of flexing forward the way bodybuilders do yeah yeah wow had to learn how to relax that out uh did that ideology and personality make it better or worse for you to then enter the entertainment business like that Mm, i would say worse yeah because it was evident when i walked in the room that i wasn't to be I, I think yeah. I think when you walk when you first come to LA everybody's fresh meat yeah. right fresh meat and people are looking to take advantage of you and this kind of thing or or they just feed off of your enthusiasm and when I walked in I don't I didn't give off that oh my gosh I'm so excited I came from Columbus Ohio I'm yeah. so excited I don't to think be I ever gave one. that I learned to give that off 
Could you do much better in this business when you're a snake than when you're a bull? Mm-hmm. And I think that I naturally just am a very straight shooter. I'm an, I'm Irish. I'm an Aries. I'm like, okay, so here's <laughs> what I want, and here's what you can do, and here's what I'll do for you, and let's do this. Oh, you would have been great in the military. Yeah, probably. This is a business that was is very much about, okay, so let's have five meetings, and I don't really want to ask for what I want, and you don't really want to tell me what you're going to give me, so we're just going to dance around for a while. Yes. In my younger years, that was a very <laughs> frustrating thing for me that would seriously give me headaches. Mm-hmm. Now I think of it um, the way that, you know, some people probably think about going to play tennis or playing chess. I mean, it's it's a skill and it's it's a it's an exercise in waiting. And it's, mm. do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like how I now have the patience to wait for, or I have orchid plants and I now have the patience to wait for them to bloom. Oh. I've become good with plants because you plant something and then you wait. And I think that's like this business, right? You plant something and then you wait. Mm -hmm. And not something good is going to come out of every meeting, even Mm -hmm. though you're both ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting, it's like perpetually dating being Mm. in this business. (laughs) Right? Well, I'm terrible at dating, so I'm only terrible at this business. But I've gotten better at this business. And you will too. Thank you. Uh, I hope so. How long have you been out here? I've been out here six years now. Yeah, you'll get better at it. I, I've had I've had decent luck working in. Um, I've worked at Fox Sports. I worked as a tech advisor for TNT. Um, I just finished a fellowship over in the development department at AMC, it's which wonderful. they are wonderful. Uh, and I'm I'm working really it's hard. A great network, right? They and believe it or not, it there's nine executives and seven of them are women. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes, and, and they the have all those tough shows too. Yes. There, wow. uh, everybody in that office has. Okay, this this shows a little bit too much about me. But when we got to the off, when I first started working there, they were so nice. I was uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah, I feel. I felt that way when I first started working here eight years ago. Mm. I thought, when is the other shoe going to drop? You're right. When's everyone going to become a big asshole? Right. Because this whole kind of like you just do what you want, and if you get numbers, you can stay. I'm like, what? What? what, what when? When? Yeah. And it, you know, I just because I had been through so many bad experiences where mm-hmm. you have the great meeting, it's all going to be wonderful, and then mm-hmm. you get to work the first day, and it's just ugh. Yeah, or I've had the great meetings, and on Friday I had a huge contract, and on Monday it was gone. Right, or you get and they there didn't and tell you, and then they won't tell you that it's gone, right? Because nobody wants to be. Or the my favorite, you go and no one will look at you all day, and then at the end of the day, some poor schmuck has to can you. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So I I was ill prepared, but sometimes it's great when you go into a situation, and it's to me the best thing in the world about this business is when you can have a good situation with people you really like, mm-hmm. and you get to make art. Mm-hmm. Because we'll take any one of those three things. Right. We get them all together. That's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. The most motivated employees you'll ever meet. It's wonderful. So so is is Call Me Ma'am, is that your first film since um, college? High school? I've I've made some short some some short things here and there, um, sketches, but this is the first thing I would call a film. It's the first thing I'm very proud of to I put a lot of time and energy into it. I put about um, two months of pre-production into it and then about a month of post-production in it. We actually did it on film. Oh, wow. I What kind of film? Eight millimeter. Pure, oh, wow. Interesting. Yes. Eight millimeter. It's got this very timely feel to it. As I if bet, yeah. It's as if it's the first time women start going on ships. We rented a battleship 
By it's we, amazing. I said I. I right. wrote, we. I directed, I produced. <laughs> the gods of free battleships. Yes. <laughs> uh, was was did you have a vintage camera for the eight millimeter? Do um, they still make eight millimeter cameras? Yes, my cinematographer is a retired uh, Navy combat camera guy, and okay. he has an eight millimeter that he was using back from before. the day. From the day. You know, it's so funny because I was just telling you the story of going through my mom's house. Um, I don't know if I said that on or off the air, but my mom mm-hmm. passed and I'm going through her house and I found the eight millimeter camera my folks had when I was a kid. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I think I want to keep this. Mm-hmm. And I have not even told anyone that story. And now you come in today mentioning eight millimeter. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And there's a wonderful little store. If you just drive down the street a little ways, it's called Pro 8 Millimeter. All the film you need. They process wow. it, they digitize it and they move it over. Uh, I actually had our stuff digitized into 2K. So oh, even nice. though it's eight millimeter, it's still in two K quality. So it's got that that grainy, yeah. very textured feel. So people but, are still working in eight millimeter. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Maybe now I have hope. Maybe vinyl is coming back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. That's wonderful. What an interesting choice. And did you mm-hmm. say earlier it's black and white? No, it's it's full color. It's color. It's color, but um, it's silent. Oh, it's silent. All right, I knew it was something really mm-hmm. old. Yeah. So interesting. It's, it's a silent movie because. Um, I made this movie because I joined a program that LACMA, it was the first time LACMA's done it. Right, but I love it's LACMA. A, yes, a veteran, Veterans Make Movies program. And it, there was about 30 of us. Most of them were brand new filmmakers. I have been working in film and TV for much longer time. So I decided I was like, I could either just quit I could give them something that I do on the weekends or I could take this as a big challenge and so I did and I jumped in and it was it was a challenge to make something about my time in the Navy it was had to be very short and I wanted to do it silent filmmaking I wanted to just do visual filmmaking instead of dialogue because I feel dialogue is overdone and the challenge of video is to show without telling plays are about talking Whereas movies should be about showing. Yeah. And so a, I brought it to my cinematographer, um, who's wonderful. And he, he said, well, if we're going to do it silently, we might as well do it on film. I had a slight heart attack. Oh, I love that. it was the first right. time I'd ever used film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, but when you do it on film... Mm-hmm. Did he edit it on film, or did you did you did he make a like a digital copy of it and you made your notes from there? What you can do, you take back to the place that right. I told you, and they they transfer it to digitize. They digitize it for you. Okay, and then you can take that and uh, edit it from there. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you still edit it modern, modern style. You yes. just shot it that way originally. Mm-hmm. Wow, how and long is it? It is four minutes and four and uh, twelve seconds. Okay, and it's a full year crammed into that amount of time wow and can you talk about what it's about sure um it's when women show up to the navy especially when i showed up to the navy i showed up to seventh fleet which is still referred to as the wild wild west it's out in asia it's forward deployed so it's not in the united states and you're there for years and because so much of what the navy's job in that area of responsibility aor um is china the Philippines, Malaysia, South Korea, North Korea, Russia on the on that side of the world that the ships are always underway. It's a very tough place. It's it's about as old school navy as you can get. Okay. And when I showed up there were still very many people there that did not want women there. They especially did not want women um who stood up for themselves. There are a few women that they tolerated 
because they didn't try to take control. They didn't try to be in charge. Okay. Um, but I came in like a bull, just like you said. Yeah. Yeah. So I came in there and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked. And they didn't want me there in the beginning. And in the end, um, <clears throat> there was an officer when I first showed up there that I was supposed to work hand in hand with. We were supposed to be on the same level. And he, for a year, made my life miserable. Everything he could do. And in the end, there was a small mutiny in the department where everyone wanted to follow me and no one wanted to follow him anymore. And so he lost his standing in the department and I was in charge. So that's, that's basically what it's about. And that happens in four minutes. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. So were, were you at sea much? Always. Okay. We were at sea a lot. Out of 365 days, we were underway, about 280 of them. Wow. Yeah. What is it like just to be in the middle of the ocean? You try not to think about the fact that if the ship sinks, no one can get to you for at least 12 hours. <laughs> okay, because you're that far out. Yes. We are in the middle of the Pacific where it's about a, we call it a drive, but it's about a day or two day drive just to land. Okay. And th being out in the middle of the ocean is not too bad. I think it would be worse back before they had the GPS technology and the satellite Absolutely. technology. Yes, but no, I just mean like the <laughs> hugeness of it. To me, and I grew up always on the mm -hmm. ocean. My dad was an amateur boat builder, and, mm -hmm. and so um, in his spare time. So th there was just some, there's just something about the ocean to me that it's just it's so huge mm -hmm. that you realize how kind of small you are in the perspective of everything in the universe and it just yes. kind of makes you feel I think next to looking up into space hmm. it's the most hugeness comes from looking out at the ocean well imagine that hugeness of the ocean and looking up into space because there are no lights for miles yes and miles so you have the most beautiful starry nights the times when you get very aware for the most part you're it's just water horizon water water okay clouds we need to be careful maybe that's a that might be a, a rainstorm but when you're in a typhoon and you're hitting 12 foot waves and you can't and it's just gray gray sky wind rain wow things you're 12 you're 10 stories up in the pilot house and waves are crashing against the windshield wow that makes you feel tiny that reminds you that and and the waves are just tossing you around like you as if you're there's a child in a tub playing with a plastic toy and right and you're just this is why i didn't join the navy yeah <laughs> that's why a lot yeah. of people didn't most people would be in but you rack. love that did you love I, that? i enjoyed that part i did okay. i was one of the few that never got seasick and were you a pilot uh i wasn't i was i drove ships Okay. I was a ship driver. And okay. But that's what, isn't that... The you, pilot house, that's where you look out to drive the ship from. Okay, but you were, a, you did drive ships. I did drive ships, yeah. Okay. My dad was the pilot. Okay, your dad was a, was a, was a, yes, a flying pilot. in the, yes, in, okay. Flying in the air. In the air so, pilot. Okay, yes. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. He was a fighter you jet pilot. You have to pilot. explain to the muggle sometimes how it all works. <laughs> I'm trying my best to you're keep the jargon out. fantastic. Okay. I'm a little slow. Uh, oh, okay, no, so you but you did drive ships, so you're drive driving ships. that ship in that typhoon. Yes. Wow. Is it rare for women to drive ships in the military, or just anywhere? Um, in the United States Navy, um, we're about twenty five, thirty percent women. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, 
that are actually driving ships? Um, it's 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 about thirty percent all the way across. So oh wow, 30% that's in medical, Thirty percent in flight, thirty percent in the ships. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's way more than I thought. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah. Wow. Okay, is that scary to be in a storm? I mean, to see to me that just I can't even imagine even going anywhere near that. I don't even want to get a boat and take it out on the ocean for fear that you get stuck in something like that. Eh, that's that's why there's the Coast Guard, in case somebody does. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but how fearless you must be, too. Wow. I, I, honestly, when I was a kid, I would go deep sea fishing with my dad out in the Gulf of Mexico. And some for some reason, we always got caught in storms in these, these catamarans we would go deep sea fishing on. And... Everybody else would be hiding inside, and I would be on the bow hanging on as the waves would crash okay, over. Okay, <laughs> so you just love that. All right, okay. It, it, didn't, it, never, it never occurred to me that I should be scared. Do you miss it? Do you ever wish you'd stayed longer? Yes, I do. Um, you miss things, and it's really easy to get the, the rose-colored glasses sure, looking back. the nostalgia of it all. Right, and it, when that happens, I just go spend a week of my friend's over who are still in the military and just remember everything and um uh i um i do have regrets that a few things i didn't get to do um some opportunities that i wasn't able to fulfill completely um i never went to afghanistan or, or iraq even though i volunteered to go it just was never in the cards for me to go and it's as a veteran trying to uh, deal with the civilian community and to de- deal with other veterans, um, I've had people say, oh, you're a veteran. Did you go to Afghanistan or Iraq? It's like, well, no. Oh, so you're not a real veteran. I'm like, oh. oh th- excuse me? Um, right. And you have to be in combat in order for y- any of it to be real. Right. Humans are odd. Right. Standing on, you know, getting into a standoff with the Korean Navy or chasing down pirates or, yeah. you know, going into all the stuff that we did do. Um, yeah. Pirates are scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's scary. It, right? more, the Malaysian pirates were much more scary than the, the Somalian pirates. Really? I thought the Somalian pirates were the worst in the world. Uh, well, the the ones in Malaysia didn't get a lot of flack, uh, didn't get a lot of attention because they weren't attacking Western uh, right. properties. Right. They were attacking and almost over th- overthrew the entire government in yeah. Malaysia. I mean, I think pirates have always been scary, but pirates with <laughs> machine guns. Well, they had machine guns. Are particularly <laughs> scary now. Pirates yeah. have just gotten scarier. Yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. It's, it's, yeah. It's, so, so where were you? You were based in Japan? I was based in Japan, yes. Okay. Did you like Japan? I love Japan. Yeah. Honto ga daisukine. Yeah. I, I, I've heard that Japan is especially wonderful if you're a person who, of smaller stature. Mm. Because you go to Japan and everything's set up for you. Yes. My feet yeah. touch the floor. Yeah. Oh, in case uh, I'm I'm 5'2". Yeah, I have a friend who's like not even quite five foot. And she was like, and then I went to Japan and it was like I was normal. Yes. (laughs) And the tall people can't fit in anything. Right. The tall people can't. I have a friend that used to go to Vegas all the time and stay at um, Imperial Palace. Mm -hmm. And he would always complain that the shower head hit him in the chest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's like, I don't know what's up with the shower head, but it like doesn't go over my head. But, he could yeah. probably have taken it off and done this. That's, yeah, I, that's I have probably absolutely no idea. I never off. stayed there. But um, uh, but I did like their casino and their fantastic restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, what, how interesting. Yeah, that, that it's it's kind of like where you belong. Mm-hmm. 
I had a great, I was actually living a double life in Japan. I was doing the Navy thing during the day. And at night, I was working for a TV show called Fox Backstage Pass, interviewing A-list celebrities in English and then speaking to the camera in Japanese. Wow. So, yeah. Did you learn Japanese in business school? Uh, when I, I studied abroad for a semester in Japan. Because, oh, that's right. You said that. Yes. yes. So I you was like, knew, hey. did you know you were going to go to Japan? I didn't. Okay. But when looking at, you know, where should I study, um, we have bases in Japan for the Navy, and we don't really have bases anywhere else. Okay. So I figured, eh. And were you kind of moonlighting, or did the, the military not care that you were doing it? I was I was moonlighting, and, okay. no, and the reason why they didn't care is nobody knew. All right. Okay. I kept for some reason. No one I, saw you on TV. I look very different with okay. makeup on and look like a girl. Did you use a different name? Yeah, I did. Oh, oh, that's fantastic! I mean, I How did you fall into that in the military? I, I well, when I was there studying abroad, I ended up doing some modeling and some acting because I could never really let it go. Sure. And I had an agent. I had a couple agents, and. <clears throat> When I went back, I just called up my agent and said, hey, I'm going to be here for about two, three years. You want to get me back on the roster? And then I met another veteran who is now working for, was working for Fox. And we chatted. He said, you're fun. You you speak Japanese. You're very calm in front of the camera. Let's, hey, come. Hey, you want to go interview Brad Pitt next week? Wow. <laughs> sure. I'll oh, be there. Oh, that's awesome. And so. you never had to cancel an interview because of a, a Navy emergency? No, thankfully. Okay, but it I, got close a couple times. It, one time, I okay. One time, I slipped out of work early to go interview Brad Pitt. Okay, and um, one, I think there should just be an automatic thing that you can get out of work early to meet Brad Pitt. I I just yeah that that, that was okay. <laughs> that was the that was the one time, and then I managed to get the the Navy to give me a day off so I could do do a commercial with Quentin Tarantino in Japan. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, there were times where I was uh, checking my phone every five minutes just in case they recalled everybody to the ship because yeah. I was an hour away. I was all the way up in Tokyo and the ship was about half an hour. I was an hour away from there. Wow. So it would have been like a sprint to the to the train station, jump on the train, make it halfway to where I lived, which was in Yokohama, change real quick, grab my stuff, jump on the train and make it all the way down to where the ship was. Okay, that sounds super exciting. So <laughs> what do you do now to fulfill that adrenaline junkie side of you? Um, There's no more typhoons. I know. There's no more, oh my God, the ship could be deployed and Brad Pitt the same day. Right. There's no more Quentin Tarantino commercial plus got it. Nobody at work knows. And there's no more just showing up. Hey, this this week. Hey, guys, we're going to Palau next week. Woo! Yeah. Hey, guys, we're going to Thailand next week. Woo! There's no more like um, super <laughs> asshole that doesn't want you to work there, but you probably could get involved somewhere in the entertainment industry and find that guy. Right. That's not too hard to find. Right. I've... Uh, Apparently, I got to the last, uh, I won't say any names, but a friend said, we've got this director that is notoriously terrible to work for, and I honestly think you're the only person who could deal with him. (laughs) I'm giving him your resume. You don't have a choice. (laughs) Oh, okay. So that almost happened, uh, but it ended up not, and I'm very happy that didn't happen. But uh, it's it's tough. It's tough to fill that... um, that void i had to stop drinking for a little while because that was getting a little bit out of control okay um it's good you did probably then yeah 
because when you're drunk, you find all kinds of ways to add adrenaline to your life. Sure, but it's good that you had the drinking during all the times of, woo, let's go to Thailand, and woo, let's go to there. And yes. that was important to have the drinking for that part. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know. It's adjusting to being a normal person. And I guess making a film. Making a film was very exciting. That that definitely drives but up the adrenaline. you don't get to do that like every day. No, I try to though. What do you do to sort of uh, to keep what do you to keep creative things happening all the time? I mean, obviously you can't fund a film constantly. Um, I write. I'm an actor, so auditions are always a nice That's adrenaline good. rush. Uh, being on set, I I work yeah. with a, uh, uh, I guess a military placement thing. I don't, we do special. Uh, we have special skills, and we get paid a lot of money to go and be special skilled extras oh. on TV shows and nice. movies. You know, whenever you see a bunch of cops rush uh, a building, but none of them talk, they're all doing the weapons correctly, or they're they're you know, doing formation, or they're uh, very military things. They hire veterans to do it, so they don't have to train us, and we all look very on point. It's wonderful. So. That's fantastic. That's good. Uh, so you have a crowdfunding going on right now. Yes. So tell us about that really quick before we have to go and, and let me know where people can find you and, and participate. Okay. Well, it's for Call Me Ma'am. And uh, while I was able to fork over some of the money ahead of time uh, to pay the cast and the crew and to pay myself back so I can do the next round, um, Call Me Ma'am is up on Indiegogo. And it's the only one with Call Me Ma'am, so that's the easiest way to find it. Uh, we're at 56%. One of the nice features about Indiegogo is that once you, however much you raise, you get to keep. And also, once you get past the, the deadline, you can continue to raise money. You don't have to end at the deadline like Kickstarter. Um, it's, it's so I can pay back the people that worked for me, which was 80% veterans. Um, the industry has a bad habit of not hiring veterans, so... I wanted to make sure in this project that I did, and if I raise enough money, if I can make it all the way to the the 100% mark, I can fund a nonprofit that I want to do called the VeteranMediaFund.org. <clears throat> Whereas this is going to be a resume piece for me. Obviously, it's not a full-length feature. Can't sell it. Maybe I can turn it into something else. But for the most part, it's just so I can send to people to show them, yes, I've been working in the entertainment industry for several years. This is what I can do. You can trust me. Uh, I am actually talented. It's hard to tell that to somebody and then give you money versus if you can show them and then they can trust you. I find that a lot of my veteran friends are in that point because they come to Hollywood a lot later than most people and they don't come from rich families. They don't, they're not born into this industry. So whereas 22-year-olds can survive a little bit differently, you know, if you're 35 and you have a family and you still want to get into this industry, uh, being able to be funded or um, have your living expenses paid for for a couple months so you can finish writing that script so you can sell, so you can actually start being a writer. It's wonderful. So you can finish your um, thesis, so you can show that to people, so you can get hired, so you can continue working in this industry. It sucks that so many people come here, especially veterans, and they end up being... They end up being hobbyists. Yeah. Everybody who doesn't have money that comes here. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Absolutely. Uh, That's wonderful. Where can people um, find it, and where can people find you online? I am online as Adrian Camille, A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E, C-A-M-I-L-L-E. On Instagram, uh, on Twitter, I'm Adrian Cammie at Adrian Cammy because somebody else has Adrian Camille and I'm going to have to go yeah. wrestle her Seriously, she's in get medieval on them. Yeah, she's in Nevada. I've already contacted her a few times and she just she's not 
happening. Um, and then I'm on Facebook. That's where I'm most active. And Call Me Ma'am, like I said, if you just search Call Me Ma'am on uh, Indiegogo, it'll pop up. Uh, if you do donate $5, I do send everybody the um, the the film that's if you want to see it five bucks we'll send you the film because i send it to sundance and sundance always likes to premiere things so i can't put it anywhere i can't send yeah. it to other festivals until i hear back from them good for you i hope so, it makes it there I uh, will you come back and we'll do this again i'd love it absolutely if you miss any of the links uh, sheena metal experience.com latalkradio.com on social media i'm at sheena metal everywhere send me an email and I will gladly forward Adrian's links over to you. It's the Sheena Metal Experience on LA Talk Radio. And you know what we do here, people. Every Monday through Friday, 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time, we rip the veil off the human sideshow and expose those big old homo sapiens at their most bizarre. And every day and always, of course, my friends, at their most beautiful. And you know it's my show, but what it really is, it's your experience. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. And I'll see you all tomorrow right here on LA Talk Radio. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio.